Hello, this is the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson, Director of Communications at the Michigan Department of Transportation. This week, we're talking about what is a pretty bold announcement today concerning something that is a challenge and frustration to all of us, and that's parking, how to make it easier. Um, and even more so if you can uh, park and charge your EV at the same time. So once again, I am pleased to have with me Trevor Paul, who is Michigan's Chief Mobility Officer, uh, repeat appearance on the podcast. And so Trevor, thank you for taking time to do this. It is great to be here. You look good. You look healthy. This is the first one we've done in person. That's right. We are here at the Center for Automotive yeah. Research Management Briefing Seminar in Traverse City yeah. and seeing each other in person. You got like a nice golden brown tan. <laughs> I don't know why that would be. Ah. Maybe too much time on the trails, huh? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Back in the office, <laughs> out of the sun. Yeah, right, right. Well, so tell me, tell us about today's announcement that the, the governor, you set it up, and then the, the governor gave some details, and uh, you know, it seemed to, seemed, seemed to go over well with the crowd. So, so this is really cool, and it's actually uh, a first in, in the nation. It's a smart parking lab um, that is focused on, on the future of immobility. Immobility. Right? Immobility. Um, you know, people don't realize that a car typically is only moving about 5% of the time. And what do you do with the 95%? Well, we think there's just a better way. I mean, you know, whether it's with how you charge your vehicle, even the services that can be done to your vehicle, like running proactive diagnostics. You think about, you know, the things that can be done for the paratransit community, various communities. And so this lab is going to explore all those things, including revenue models for cities. Right. So both those things are really interesting. Talk first about what you think it could mean to mobility for people with disabilities. Yeah. So um, I think uh, I'll I'll tackle it from two angles. Uh, The first is I think it's an opportunity for industry to hear a bit more about barriers that uh, that certain communities face. And then actually providing sort of this playground or this, this place to try stuff, to install new sorts of hardware and then integrate that with software. They can help us make smarter design decisions, smarter implementation decisions. Um, so, so there's there's that angle of it. That's why it's a lab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, it, it's um, and also I think um, it can it can be a call. It can be a place where you can identify the problems. It's not just about sort of taking taking a list of problems and working through them checkbox by checkbox. It's also about trying some different things hoping to find the true issue. Um, and, and so for a, a group like those that sort of face, you know, what happens in paratransit every single day, this is a dedicated resource that's going to work for them, as well as real estate innovators, startups, mobility pioneers. I mean, what I love about this is, yeah, it's Ford. Uh, yeah, it's Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Um, American Center for Mobility is involved. But so is Bedrock. Right from the Rocket family of companies. Why, why is that particularly interesting to you? Because they're not auto, but they but they understand the convergence of industries that Especially we're seeing right parking. now. Hundred <laughs> percent, and you know, parking's not it's it's in Detroit, but we could have easily had this in Grand Rapids with with some of the parking challenges that Grand Rapids has, or even some of these small towns, especially when it's peak season. Um, yeah, like I mean, up north. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's as much about finding new technology as it is about okay, like how do we actually make this work in an affordable efficient way. Um, 
And also, how do we handle the maintenance? I mean, there's all these issues with parking spots. And frankly, again, 95% of the future of mobility is spent not moving at all. Well, that, and, and we've talked about that before in terms <laughs> of car sharing and, and yeah. what you know the future of automobiles is. And that's one yeah. of the reasons they say that, that this car could be busy all day long. Well, finding, so the research shows that finding parking in a city is, the it, it causes 30% of a city's congestion and, and emissions. Yeah, it's a huge environment. So if you eliminate the second, third, fourth, and fifth time someone goes around the block, and you actually make parking something people enjoy. Like, you know, you get out of your car, you go on with your day, and the car parks safely and efficiently. I mean, parking all of a sudden can become something that relieves pollution, relieves anxiety, doesn't create it. So, I mean, I know that sometimes you can get kind of technical with new technologies with the word smart at the beginning of them, but I think everyone can get around this idea that parking is broken. Someone needs to fix it. Yeah. No. So you're the chief immobility officer now? Yeah, I am. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, talk talk about about the other aspects of it and why why you think uh, Ford and Bosch and Enterprise and the American Center for Mobility and Bedrock yeah. could all get behind this. Like, what, what what's the common goal that they share? Yeah. Well, I mean, with Ford and Bosch, it's, it's clear that you know there's a great relationship already in place uh, within the supply chain. Um, and it's clear that there's more competition than ever. And you know, like finding new lines of business to help a customer will benefit that supply chain. Um, you know, you think about Bedrock, it's like, you know, it's about, yeah, sure, it's about innovation, but it's also very much about like making sure Detroit is in a pole position for mobility leadership. And that benefits any company that calls Detroit home. Bedrock sees that more than most and is willing to put put their money where their mouth is in, in that commitment. I've been so impressed with Rocket and, and just their ability to um, sort of adapt with the market and add value with whatever it is. It could be like they're all software, but it could be like something with hardware that they come in and say, you know what, we're gonna help you on that pitch to that company you tried to get on here. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the model. That's public-private Well, you don't see this just from a professional standpoint. You see it from a personal standpoint as somebody who's homesteading in downtown Detroit. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a brush, brush park guy at, at the moment, and um, you're absolutely right. I mean, to see what, what they've done in and around Campus Marshes has been pretty special. Yeah. Well, as you look to the future, I mean, what would be your, your goal? What's your most optimistic view a year, two years, three years from now from this lab? For parking? Yeah. Um, I, I would like to see five plus, maybe more, uh, parking technologies become scalable, newsworthy, not just in in America or North America, but across the world. And it's clear, like the trajectory, the line can trace back to Detroit. Similar, so um, you're, I've told this story at nauseum and I know you, you hear it, but you know, we're, we're in this 30 year window where I believe that the next century of transportation is gonna be decided. Slim, similar to how like lane markings were, uh, you know, just a milk truck on Woodward Avenue that was leaking and the right road engineer saw that and applied it. Um, you know, three color traffic signals, concrete. I mean, all these things seem monotonous now, but back in the day, they were truly innovative. Now there's a bunch more noise in the market. And so you need to have these dedicated resources that can focus on what the ne- next milk truck is or, you know, what, what the next three color signal is. 
and there's, you know, transportation is so much more complicated. And so it's not as easy to just have a mobility lab sometimes. Sometimes you need to focus on a particular aspect and go hard. And that's what we're doing here. Well, it was clear today, um, and it's, as you set up the announcement for the governor, that you were very enthusiastic about this. And um, I think it is one of those things that we we are frustrated in the moment, but we don't think about it long term. Like, mm -hmm. could I solve this whole parking thing and at the same time uh, deliver a win for the environment? And you know, yeah. that's that's what you're that's what you're talking it's, about. You know, and you know, doing a deep dive with these companies on parking, I had no idea the environmental impact. And I knew about congestion. I knew about the annoyance, but the environmental impact, and frankly, what you can do with a parking spot, like wireless charging, you know, you think about micro mobility and even you think about the usage of the space. So for every vehicle, every car in the US, guess how many parking spots there are for that car? Eight. So we have like more than 2 billion parking spots and, and literally each car in the US could, could always have at least eight open. So is this like, kind of like Springsteen's 57 channels? And there's we have enough parking. <laughs> Eight spaces we, for every car, but we can't find a parking we have space. A, we have enough parking spaces to fill West <clears throat> Virginia, which is a problem. And that's an urban design thing that I think we need to solve. Because parking by its nature, parking lots by its nature can pull us apart. It, it, can, it can make a, a community less dense. However, it starts with being smart about each and every spot, uh, spot and being more productive. Um, so you think about ways to take a parking garage or take, you know, a, a parking lot and turn it into this micro mobility hub, right? Where, you know, last mile uh, packages can be delivered. Um, you think about delivery bikes, you know, you could, there, there's just all these other B2B aspects of, of parking, of the, this real estate right. that can be used. I mean, these should be hubs. These just shouldn't be <laughs> slates of concrete. Well, I think in, in issuing the formal announcement after the governor spoke, uh, the news release said that pointed out that this builds on last week's announcement um, from the MSF, the strategic fund, that they were going to support Ford and their new global battery center of yeah. excellence. So talk about how those things kind of fit together. Yeah. Well, that, that's a big deal. I mean, it's a signaling moment. They could have went anywhere else in the world, uh, but they continue to choose Michigan. And I think that builds on a couple of other announcements that maybe you know, don't have the fanfare of Ion Park, but Magna chose um, St. Clair County, for example, for 300 jobs. Um, that focus on battery enclosures for, for the new uh, electric Hummer, you know, emerging company out of Boston, XL Fleet, chose Wixom um, for their sort of advanced fleet electrification center. Um, so I think what you're seeing, a lot of times the news will cover the, the home the, the, the home team. Yeah. You know, sometimes we call them, you know, the, the, like a Ford when they make a big announcement. But I think what that big announcement allows us to do is look in the rearview mirror and say, Wow, what's just happened last three or four months? We had Boston Company, we had, you know, Magna continue to invest here. You know, like we've seen some other startup activity. It's just like those moments allow us to look back and say, wow, no, we're definitely a global player. We're definitely still moving the needle as a region. So, do you feel like we're we're overhyping that to say that? I mean, to to talk about Michigan and recovering its status as as the you know auto capital of the world. Oh, Detroit never left. I mean, we're, we've always been the automotive capital. Um, I, I think that we're an easy target and there, you know, I, we've had our issues, but I mean, the truth is when you look at our cluster and we still have more engineers per capita than anywhere else in the U.S., 96 of the top 100 global suppliers have their presence in Michigan. Um, you know, and just in the last couple of years, we've seen actually in the last decade, 
we've had more exponentially more uh, automotive manufacturing investment than any other region in, in North America. That includes the entire country of Canada and Mexico. I mean, so we are we are in prime position here for the next decade, but we can't kid ourselves. You know, we're up here at the Center for Automotive Research Management Briefing Seminars, and they recently uh, put out a report that had said that uh, over 300 Michigan companies uh, have a uh, high likelihood of being impacted by the transition from internal combustion engine vehicles to um, battery electric, 60% in a negative way. So, I mean, we need to realize that automotive isn't our birthright. And Chris Thomas, who's a venture capitalist in Detroit, has, has always said that. And I, I tend to believe it. I, I think that we need to make sure that we're acting like we're still trying to get our first assembly plant. And we need to, um, you know, continue to make automotive. Yeah, sure. One industry in Michigan. Yeah, sure. The first among equals. But also make sure that we we're, we are continuing to act global, stay hungry, and growing that yeah, yeah. And growing that industry. So, having said all that and seeing what you're seeing, did you think even a few years ago? I mean, you were doing Planet M, you were mm-hmm. kind of the chief spokesperson, salesperson for Michigan in that job, and now as chief yeah. mobility officer, you're expanding on that role. But is this happening even more exponentially than you expected? I mean, what the big automakers are doing with electric vehicles and what the president announced today and, and where we're going. Yeah. I mean, is this just taken off? And I mean, how, how long yeah. before we're all driving EVs? Well, we got to reduce range anxiety. I mean, you talk to someone, even in a place like San Francisco, I was just talking to an automotive CEO. who's like, you know, we just rented an EV out in San Francisco and we were driving around and just to see what it was like. And, uh, you know, admittedly, once that battery started, to, the green started to slip away a little bit. We got concerned. We ended up having to sit in a parking garage for 20 minutes, just waiting. You know, he, he's like, he kind of laughed about it. But I mean, imagine if you were in, you know, on your way up north uh, on 75 and you didn't have that luxury of being in a big city. Um, I think there's a real concern. I mean, I was talking to someone today at, at the hotel. He's like, I had to wake up at 6:30 in the morning to charge my car uh, or to make sure that it was charged. And, um, even the moderator on one of the panels I heard <laughs> had to start the panel by saying, if you are charging a vehicle you, and you're done or you're close to being done, can you Clear please the space. move your vehicle? Yeah. You know, it's a wow. whole new language that we're going to have to learn. So uh, there's a long way to go. I don't think we're all going to be driving EVs. I think fuel cell is going to be prominent. I actually think carbon capture. I don't think we're done with ICE. I think if you can find a way to make ICE a lot cleaner through carbon capture innovation, hardware you can put on your vehicle that captures the carbon, carbon stations situated at gas stations where you can drop the carbon off, it can be used for advanced materials. The fleet operator makes money, the gas station or landowner makes money where the station is. And there are revenue channels too that can be explored but, there. But during this period, the things that we're starting to do as a state, you know, charge up Michigan, those things. Oh yeah, what charge up Michigan, we gotta, I mean, we gotta. What the president announced today, I mean, we, yeah. we've got to, Oh, yeah. No, you're right. You mentioned the president. So, yes, I, I, what I love about the announcement today, what I love about, you know, Michigan's commitment to have a worry free EV network uh, to travel by 2030 is the level of urgency. And, and even, you know, setting setting a national goal creates this level playing field or forces the hand. It, it creates this invisible and invisible hand of urgency where if you were holding on making an investment, on you know multi-unit dwelling chargers or policy around multi-unit dwellings or 
out of charters and or or you were waiting 25 26 to to really dive deep into you know faster like no now you have to reassess your timelines yeah um so that part of it's pretty exciting but i will say like you know the way that it's set up 27 28 29 30 those years leading up to the i mean you're going to see these commitments begin to be back they're going to be backloaded and it's going to be a couple of interesting years to see if we can keep our word nationally and the industry can keep our word on what we're trying to do. What I do know is if it's not 2030, it'd be 2032, 2035. It's coming. It's way. coming. Like, you know, what is GM is going to be a zero emission company, all, all zero emission vehicles by 2035, Ford carbon neutral by 2050, if not sooner. Uh, Volvo, I think it's 2025. So, I mean, it's going to happen. It's just, you know, it, you needed a moment for the president in his administration to get up and say, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is where we're going. I can't and think of a this better was. time with fires raging in the northwest part of our country and floods in Central Europe yeah. and, you know, heavy rainfall like we've never seen. What used to be 500-year events now happening every every few months in uh, southeast Michigan. And yeah. It's, you know, what happened in Midland last year. I mean, you can't overstate that something's going on with the climate and doing what you're talking about, what the automakers are committed to. Um, as humans, I don't know what better thing we could do to try to, to try to reverse well, that. Well, even in Trevor City, like right now, you go out at sunset and it's beautiful. But then you get this really eerie sense that it's only beautiful because the Western wildfire smoke is now over you. Yeah. And the sun <clears throat> is eerily orange. And you realize something's terribly wrong. Yeah. And that we might be staring at the beginning of the challenge of our lifetime. Yeah. Very well so, said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. As always, I appreciate your enthusiasm and your optimism, um, even if that last part was a little bad. I, I attended the Cranston School of Communication, so I hope, <laughs> I'm glad my degree is paying off. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. All right. I'll talk appreciate to you later. It. All right. Bye. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I would like to thank Randy Dubler and Corey Petey for engineering this week's podcast. To subscribe to show notes and more, go to Apple Podcasts and search for Talking Michigan Transportation.